spiritual guide to politics. I am Liz Philippos, and I'm here to offer an expanded perspective into this moment in our collective political lives, so that we come to a deeper awareness of our capacity to transform and transcend the present paradigm as agents of transformation. Each week I talk with creative leaders about their spiritual understanding of the current political moment the possibilities for the well-being of our planetary lives and the life of the planet itself. They inspire us to know that the personal is political and the political is spiritual. There are tremendous possibilities for transformation when we really come to know this. Today's conversation is about the great reckoning that we are in in this political moment and some of the limitations that we're coming upon in our progressive and spiritual work, particularly when the conversation is about borders. My guest today is Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, who is called the most intriguing and vocal African-American Buddhist by Library Journal. Angel is an author, activist, master trainer, a maverick, and founder of the Center for Transformative Change. She has been bridging the worlds of transformation and justice since her critically acclaimed book, Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace, which was hailed as an act of love by Pulitzer Prize winner Alice Walker and a classic by Buddhist pioneer Jack Kornfield. Angel is second of only three black women Zen senseis or teachers. She applies wisdom teachings and embodied practice to intractable social justice issues and is a preeminent thought leader of transformative social change. She has been awarded one of the first Creating Enlightened Society Awards from Sakyong Mifam Rinpoche, the leader of the Shambhala tradition. Her work has been widely covered, including in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Boston Globe, Buddha Dharma, Lion's Roar, Ms. Magazine, and Essence. Angel notes, love and justice are not two. Without inner change, there can be no outer change. Without collective change, no change matters. Welcome, Reverend Angel. Such an honor to talk to you. Because you are uh, somebody engaged in the big picture and uh, have that kind of uh, prophetic point of view, I would love to start by just hearing you talk about this current political moment and from your perspective what we're called to see what we're called to do what what would be the transformative response you know shortly after the last presidential election i held a call and it was uh called some part of the title called it the reckoning and i think that's very much what we're in across the board as a nation in some ways in the world, it's concentrated here in the States. And it's a reckoning with the imbalance and inequity 
that uh, it sits at the foundation of the founding of this country in particular, North America, uh, and as people come into greater awareness of their own, you know, natural equality, the, you know, their, their organic rightness in the world and no longer, you know, held as uh, deeply in the dream state that was created by people that committed genocide and took people into slavery and induced other people into... You know, on a on a class basis, and to maintain wealth and power, induced other people into this sort of very very bizarre, you know, system of uh, keeping peoples down and separated, you know, by race and color, and of course, imported patriarchy and all of the other things along with it. And I think as we we're, we're, as we come into more awareness, more consciousness, more clarity about the nature of human goodness and what it means to be truly human, then we are having to reckon with those all of the false structures. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, represents itself in terms of the realities of racial segregation, racialization, uh, patriarchy, you know, the Me Too movement, all sorts of ranges of expression in terms of people's sexuality and sexual presentation that you know the it's like the boxes have to come off and the ways in which we've all been uh, forced into some sort of fixed identity fixed locations fixed in general Mm -hmm. right you can't invite people into movement around the world and contact with each other and not come into a recognition of, oh, this we've had this thing all wrong for a really long time, but we have to get it right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think about this current administration or just the current climate, I don't think it's it's just government, that there there is a, a trend to want to fix us again in those concrete or rigid categories. Is that part of the reckoning? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the reckoning is coming, and so the peoples that uh, represent at the current moment, I mean, they didn't create it. They're not the first. (laughs) All praise be to whoever there is in the divine sky. They'll be the last. (laughs) But they're... uh, uh, it makes sense that they're seizing up, and they feel that reckoning coming. You know, it's it's like a, a wave of truth, a wave of real deep, powerful change that is not just to be warded off militarily anymore. I mean, it's cultural change. It's kind of deep uh, change in what how we understand ourselves as human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, happens every so often in history, and we break free of the former uh, bonds of our the ways that we thought. You know, and, and it has to go in, in in a process. You know, we're ever we're just arcing towards something that is more true, more complete, and we'll we'll keep doing it until we we get that to that place to a place in which we're able to manage that or, or we destroy ourselves, you know, one or the other. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think where we are now politically is this energy, right, the, the people that hold that energetic force 
sealing that reckoning coming and wanting to hold on, you know, desperately to the power structures that they've created over time, that they're accustomed to holding the locations. I think in many ways the way that they know themselves, that's how they know themselves, and they're in great fear mm-hmm. about what it means to not have that anymore. Right, right. I've thought that too, that it's a re-entrenchment of things that actually, in fact, have already passed. That aren't. That's exactly right. Right. You mentioned earlier um, something about us discovering our goodness. Could you talk a bit about that? What is our goodness? You know, for a long time, people talk a lot about the fact that human beings are tribal, and of course we are. We're oriented towards to look for patterns of sameness as a signal of safety. And that's a part of our brain that, and our way of navigating the world has developed a very long time ago. It's how we survive. But as we are not in the places, many of us, not not all of the world, but by a, a significant and meaningful number of the world is not in the place of mere survival, then the way in which we understand and know ourselves to be in relationship and therefore safe is shifting. Just the way that we, many many other things about how we operate is shifting. And so we will continue to be tribal in the sense of we'll still connect around and with peoples that we feel a sense of safety and ease and who we can grow with and who we can make a life forward with, but it doesn't have to be uh, limited any longer along course lines of race and uh, nations and uh, you know, heritage and that kind of thing. We're finding the natural goodness, the natural propensity of human beings to recognize the humanity in others. As we come to recognize our own humanity and greater unfoldment, the myths of, oh, you can't connect with that person because they're gay, and or that you can't connect to that person because they're white or they're uh, low class, that's falling away as we have all of this uh, mashup of practices and just concrete reality of loving across difference that then opens us up to something quite different than what we have all been trained to think was the truth. Mm -hmm. So our goodness, our capacity to connect beyond our old ways of understanding ourselves, that that's already evolved and that's evolved given conditions like globalization or uh, mass information. Are those the pushes for us to know ourselves in a, in a larger way, in a bigger way? Yeah, those are the pushes. And it's not just that we see that we can connect with people. We actually are coming to realize that we ourselves is, are made more complete by the knowing of people of difference and by the connection with people of difference. So it's not just like, oh, hey, I can like you, but wow, I know something greater about myself. I become more true to myself as a result of coming into contact. I'm saying for me personally, mm-hmm. by coming into contact and a r- real relationship with people that are, for instance, a gender queer or transgender, I am actually realizing more of my own sexual uh, identity and gender complexity 
and that makes me more complete. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be the same person if I don't have access to those people anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? I know something more about who I am and the, the wholeness of myself. So it's sort of in this, in this way that can sound airy, we are actually coming into greater oneness by coming into contact with more of our difference. We're seeing the ways in which, oh, I've been incomplete and held in, in some kind of um, social or cultural bind or social or cultural box that tells me who I can connect with. But as I reach these other people and, and find them or witness them and feel that natural uh, connection to people, the feel the natural sense of curiosity mm-hmm. about the rest of humanity, I become more complete. So it's not just this, you know, light version of, wow, I like other people and isn't that great. But rather, I have to be able to have that because I become more complete to myself. So it's not a surface connection. Mm -hmm. It's uh, how we are coming to know ourselves is, and and therefore, the insistence on it is more significant, more palpable. We're more adamant about it. Yes. What I hear you talking about, one aspect of it, is that there's a a greater willingness to be transformed by each other or by an encounter with someone that takes us beyond who we think we are, that it changes us on the inside, our sense of self and uh, our sense of possibility. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, and that's the transformative thing that you asked about. Like, what is the transformative thing? It is to create the conditions that al- allow more of us to be transformed by otherness, by difference. Yes. Because we, it, it awakens something in ourselves that then makes the navigating around, you know, the coarse things of policies and politics and these kinds of things um, moot, right? It just becomes, this is what's true. Yes. This is just what's true. Mm-hmm. And now we have to recreate a society. We have to refashion our society and our culture to meet the truth of where I am as a human being. And I can no longer be held in, bound by the false constructs that would develop that told me, like, this is how you know who you are. I I know who I am even more because of my willingness to be transformed by you. Yes, that's beautiful. That's, That's really profound. If you're just joining us now, you're listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. I was interested to hear kind of how you respond to nationalism in the U.S. And I say that because when I'm talking to people who are progressive in their point of view on all kinds of things, there seems to be a resistance to the idea of open borders, for instance, (laughs) or, you know, other things that the nation holds so dear. Uh, You laugh, so you recognize what I'm saying. (laughs) How do you respond to that, the U.S. nationalism? It's it's a potent force. Yeah. You know, capitalism is is a very powerful god in this country. (laughs) And it supersedes and has consumed all of the rest of our religions and spiritualities, uh, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so the 
have, have not that is enforced and threatened and maintained by capitalistic belief systems that, that are deeply embedded in us is, the I think, the driver of that, right? If you open the borders, then, then the have-nots will, will have what we have. And this sense of possession, of ownership, of private property is deep, deeply, deeply ingrained in even people that have been oppressed heavily by these the systems that are created to maintain this whole notion of private property and ownership and ownership of lands and, and places and institutions and, and whole, really whole societies. Even people that have been oppressed by the systems that were set up to perpetuate that are induced, they're mesmerized by the possibility of being a part of that. And it's why so many of us are still in places in which we you know, don't throw it all on the table, so to speak, to push up against that because there's, there's such a, a yearning, right, to belong to that. It's sort of like this is a terrible system, but, oh, if I could just get a piece of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of at odds with ourselves about how to move forward in a way that is fair and egalitarian and with greater equity to those of us that have been oppressed by capitalist systems because the system itself is inducing us into being a part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't yet realize that we can't have the kind of uh, society that will allow all of us to be free if we're induced into this this capitalist mentality Mm -hmm. of, of ownership and everyone, you know, having something that they have and they belong, including, you know, a a border that divides those of us that have from those of us that do not have. Right. And, you know, by the way, we're never concerned. Our nationalism never, um, that I want to say that embedded in, in progressive idea, particularly about, you know, nationalism is always racism because we're never so concerned about those Canadians that are like just flying across the border. We're always concerned about Southern borders, about borders that, separate us from from brown and black peoples you you that's we're, we're not broadly just concerned about everyone none of us are falling off the our, off of our seats about the germans that are over, overrunning the place we're concerned about uh, black and brown bodies i guess because white is also coded as having so mm-hmm. the idea of white people crossing the borders isn't to take anything away or it's not coded that way anyways, not understood. That's right. Yet there's black and brown people all over the planet that have. <laughs> that <Yes>, Exactly. <laughs> and that have come here and created wealth for the nation. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting conversation when I encounter it, given the fact that we have so much to gain by truly embracing the idea of uh, a global culture. We have so much to learn, Mm -hmm. so much to grow from, uh, so much that can Mm -hmm. help us. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, progressives, so-called progressives are not nearly as, we're not nearly as (laughs) for progress as we'd like to think we are. And, you know, there's not a kind of shame in that. It's, uh, It's a matter of moving ourselves closer and, you know, further and further along the path. And so we're in a limited place. So we have progressive ideas, but we don't have 
uh, entirely progressive internalization uh, that has dismantled the ways that we think deeply and we were trained deeply for you know hundreds of years, certainly in this country, mm-hmm. to think about other peoples. So it's great that you know people should be allowed to you know move around and we can connect with them and they can be our friends. But if they want our they want our stuff, um, then we'll have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So that there's just a next level of unpacking that has to happen. Um, and I think that part of what we're what we're doing now is, which I think is fantastic, is that this administration is forcing many um, white progressives to have to reckon with their own persistent bias, their own persistent nationalism, xenophobia, their own persistent racism, uh, because this the extreme nature of what we're seeing in terms of white supremacy and xenophobia calls people forward to say, okay, I'm not that. And when you say, I'm not that, you... If the conditions are right, you're also called to say, okay, then what am I? Mm. Mm. And that's what's going to move us forward, More people being more willing to say, okay, but what am I? And then questioning that and then questioning what we get out of the next step and so on and so forth. Mm. I feel, you know, this has very much been part of my own process is to, and, and, I, and I'm in continuous process of unveiling the things like, oh, wow, I, look at that impulse to dominate. Look at that impulse to control the conversation or the conditions. Look at that impulse to uh, think of myself as, well, I'm, I'm more American. Even, you know, my people were uh, brought here, but, but I'm more American and have more entitlement and deserve more than people coming across the border and that kind of thing. And so going through a process of being in relationship with uh, oneself is really critical for progressives, for people that think they're actually wanting to shift these things. We have a, a significant burden upon us to do the deep work that is required to unearth these systems of impression that live most strongly inside of us. Mm. Uh, outside, they'll change, they'll shift. As you said, they're already obsolete and they're just holding on. But inside, they, they're still alive and well, and it's part of why they can continue to exist outside. We can shift who's in the office, but if we don't do our in, inner work and really see how deeply ingrained and embedded those things are, and if the change will, will come, but it will be quite slow. Yes. So this is the work that you talk about, that there's a practical, personal change that has to happen. Mm-hmm that the oppressive forces are really within us, our sense of self or identity or even our limited ideas about who we are, that that's uh, the inner work of transformation that, what what does that do? Creates us as the, the right agents for a new society? You know, I, I think what it does is create conditions for something that none of us have yet seen. You know, I call it, it creates the, the potential to consider what a new America would look like. A new America doesn't even mean just a new United, new United States that could be all of this continent, if you will. But it puts those, that, the conditions in place for us to rethink the nature of borders, to rethink the nature of constructing our, how we've constructed our societies. And 
in, in a naive way, we'll think, oh, then everybody, you know, someplace else is going to run over here and take what we have, and, uh, and we have to dismantle that idea and recognize that when we're not so fixated on holding the levers of power and we're willing to allow things to be distributed, we can kind of see that on the Internet and the way the Internet has worked is that people actually are really happy to be in the places that they come from, in their own lands, in their own places. What they're not happy about is not being able to eat, yes. <laughs> not being able to have access to uh, their uh, their greatest potential because there's a group of people that are holding on to those uh, levers or those uh, doors of access, mm-hmm. you know, People love where they come from. They love their countries and their societies. We've fashioned ourselves as the country of opportunity, but we've fa- fashioned ourselves that way through through means of you know decimating a people, taking their lands, and uh, having free labor for so long that it advanced us far beyond what other countries it could uh, catch up with. And so we're not re- when we reconcile that, then we can think differently altogether about what it means to redistribute innovation and creativity and possibility in other places. Mm-hmm. It's not like we have the best weather or, you know, we don't have the best conditions in some objective way. We have conditions that are that exist as they are in terms of material access and material thriving and potential for innovation and creativity because we got a big leg up by standing on the back of, you know, particularly indigenous peoples here and black people stealing the labor of brown people, stealing the lands of brown people, Asian people, uh, and then casting them aside and sort of fashioning ourselves into this myth of the greatest society and where all, you know, opportunity is possible. Mm -hmm. So we have to deconstruct some of that and then we go, oh, actually, this innovation and possibility exists for people all over the world in all different places if the folks that are amass- not that are currently amassing power and wealth are, let us say, relieved of the burden of holding all of that power and wealth and concentrating it into a limited number of hands. Right, right. When the conversation is about people all over the world want what we have, well, yeah, when you have the monopoly on vast material resources. Yeah, people want what we have. There's a reciprocity implied in what you're saying, that Mm -hmm. that wealth and that opportunity got created on the backs of others. And so it's just, uh, it's just, it's just sharing (laughs) or giving Mm -hmm. back what we took. What Stuart Hall calls the chickens coming home to roost. Right. <laughs> the Center for Transformative Change is the first national center entirely dedicated to bridging the inner and outer lives of social change agents, activists, and allies to support a more effective, more sustainable movement of social justice for all. The mission statement states, we believe that when agents of change are supported in living more balanced lives, they are empowered to create 
more effective, lasting change in the world. I encourage you to check out the Center for Transformative Change, to look at the website, Angel Kyoto, K-Y-O-D-O, Williams.org, to look up RadicalDharma.org, to find out more about how you can be involved in the trainings and the workshops that Angel offers, how you can receive the support of the Center for Transformative Change in the social justice work that you are doing. You've been listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics here on KPFK Radio. My name is Liz Filippos. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you joined us. Until next time, 